Well, at six years of age, Cassandra had a fairly good grasp of what heaven was all about. She was only six, but she learned a lot about heaven in her six short years. And she described heaven to her mother this way. She said, Mommy, it's a place that has streets of gold. There are a lot of angels, and there are, there's a really big throne. Her mom replied by saying, That's right, honey. And did you know that God is preparing a place for us right now in heaven? And Cassandra, little Cassandra, nodded her head in agreement. Then she said, and mommy, he's building a place for us. And he's probably just now getting started on mine. And then she looked at her mom without hesitation and said, but your house is probably almost done. <laughs> well, God is indeed preparing a place for us. And some of you is getting close. Uh, you know, we call that place heaven. And certainly that is a biblical name. But when you read in the book of Revelation, it is referred to towards the end of Revelation, not as heaven, but as New Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where God would dwell among His people. And the Bible says there's going to be another place one day, a new Jerusalem, a new place where God will dwell among His people. On Sunday nights, I've been teaching through the book of Revelation and We've made it all the way to Revelation 21, and so this morning, I'm going to be teaching what I normally would be teaching tonight. And so I want you to open God's Word with us to Revelation 21, so we continue to work our way through that book. Revelation 21 and 22 is the most extensive description in the Bible of our heavenly home, especially chapter 21. It it's the most extensive description in the Bible of heaven. Uh, doesn't answer all of our questions, but it answers a lot of questions uh, that you and I have about that place. The best words that I could use to describe this chapter are the two words beyond imagination. What John describes for us in this book really is beyond imagination. It is beyond human capacity to fully grasp. The Lord graciously showed John and allowed John, the apostle, a glimpse into what heaven would be like, a glimpse into what he has in store for us. We read about it in Revelation 21, beginning of verse 1. Would you stand in honor of God's word as we read beginning Revelation 21, verse 1? <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, I want to make sure you catch that. First heaven, first earth, had passed away. There was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen? Amen. Would you be seated? <clears throat> The final two chapters of Revelation describe the ultimate prophetic vision because it is a vision of eternity and of heaven. 
And in these five or six verses we're going to be looking at, John gives us five spectacular things about heaven. He, he, as he shares with us what he saw in this vision, he reveals to us five spectacular things about heaven. And let me just go through those real quickly with you. You're going to have to listen fast today. But the first thing that he tells us is that God is preparing a unique place for you. Verses 1 and 2, he uses a word that I want to make sure you, you caught. Then I saw a, not just heaven, but I saw a new heaven. And not just earth, but a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now we are familiar with the word new in our society. We use it quite often. We talk about getting new clothes or getting a new phone or getting a new car. And when we use it in that context, we always mean this. Well, basically, new is just a, a newer version of the old. Uh, it's clothes like my old clothes, but they're new. It's It's a phone kind of like my old phone, but it's new. It's a car kind of like my old car, but it's new. It's just a newer version of the old. That's not the word used in Revelation 21.1 when it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It's a totally different Greek word. It doesn't mean new as in uh, similar to to the, the old one, but it means new in a way that is of a different type, a new start. Maybe you could describe it this way, completely unique. It's completely unique to what we know. It's something we've never experienced, something we've never seen before. And John, in this vision that God gave him, recognized that there is a day coming when there will be literally a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be completely different from what we've ever seen or experienced. Adrian Rogers, the preacher from years ago, said this. He said, just as I was made a new creature in Christ when I became a Christian... This world will be made new by the power of God. It too will be born again. Our world has a core of molten fire, and one day God will light the fuse that will explode the seething mass. But every stain of sin and every evidence of evil will be taken away, and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth that will abide forever. John hints at that as well in verse 1 when he says, look at the text, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You might want to underline those two words, passed away. Do you know what they mean? They literally mean disappeared. The first heaven, John said, and the first earth disappeared. They passed away. No longer present is another way. No longer there. That's a key phrase. Now, you need to know John was not the first person to foresee and to speak about a new heaven and a new earth. Let me give you an example. Uh, Go quickly to the Old Testament book of Isaiah 65, 17. Or at least write down the reference if you're taking notes. In Isaiah, centuries before the Apostle John in Revelation. In Isaiah 65, verse 17. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet said in verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Look in 2 Peter. You say, wait a minute, I'm still looking for Isaiah. I told you i got to go quick. Uh, look in 2 Peter, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 3. 
First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is the coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. For sake of time, let's skip down to verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens, the ones that you see now, the present heavens and earth, the one that you're living on now, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar. Did you see that word? The heavens will do what? Disappear. It's the same word as pass away that we read in Revelation 21. The heavens will, look what it says, the heavens, verse 10, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare or burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, look at this key verse. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. One final reference real quick. You can find this one. It's in Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 35. Did you know that Jesus talked about this? That Jesus talked about the fact that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And this present heaven and the present earth is going to be done away with. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. See, this world that we live in is not permanent. It is passing away. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a place we're heading towards, if you know Christ as Savior, that will never pass away. And at the end of this world, God's going to create that place. It is going to be a new heaven and a new earth for us to inhabit. Now, I want you to think about this. If God is preparing it, don't you think it's going to be good Think of it in these terms. The same God who designed the color on a butterfly, the same God who sculpted a rose, the same God who paints the sky at sunset is preparing a beautiful place for you in heaven. Isn't that going to be amazing? You see... Now, I want you to notice one other thing in Revelation 21, verse 2. Notice that John sees this city coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, this place where God's going to dwell, coming down out of heaven from God. Coming down out of the heaven where God currently is, coming down out of heaven to us. Now, the direction is significant because the direction is downward. And John is stressing this new Jerusalem is going to be a gift from God. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you understand this. Salvation from beginning to end is always a gift of God. It's all from Him. So John tells us, listen, you need to understand something. Regardless of where you're living right now and what you're going through right now, John was saying, writing to these Christians, listen, there's a place, there's a time when there will be a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. You will live with God there. God's preparing a unique place just for you. Here's the second thing John tells us in this text about heaven. He says, secondly, God plans to live there with you, not just visit you, but plans to live there with you. Verse 3. I hope that you read this carefully. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now, look at this. Now the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. You know, the Bible gives us an interesting record of the dwelling places of God throughout history. First, God walked with man in the Garden of Eden. And then He dwelt with, with Israel in a tent that could be moved from place to place. It was called a tabernacle. Later, God dwelled in a more permanent structure called a temple where He would dwell in the city of Jerusalem among His people. And then, several hundred years later, a man named Jesus Christ was born, who was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And, and God tabernacled, the Bible says, John 1.14. God tabernacled. He pitched His tent among ours. But even that was temporary. He was only here for 33 years. And today, God does not live in man-made temples, but now He lives in the bodies of believers. We are the temple of God, the Bible says. But that too is only temporary. You're only here for a short time. But one day, one day this text says we will dwell in God's presence and enjoy Him forever. Look how he describes it in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. It reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm 23. Do you remember how Psalm 23 ends? David in verse 6 says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What's that last word? Forever. Forever. I was thinking about this. One of the greatest fears for an unsaved person is that one day they'll have to face God. But the thing that most excites a Christian is that same thing. That one day we will face God. One day we will be in His presence. The old song says, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. So John says, first of all, there's this unique place God's preparing for you. It's going to destroy the world and everything tainted by sin. That's the reason the world, I wish we had time to get into that, but the reason that the world will be destroyed, the reason even the heavens will be destroyed, there are three heavens, three tiers. There's the atmospheric heaven, there's the, 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 the heavens of the planets, and then there's what the Bible refers to as the third heaven where God lives. The third heaven won't be destroyed, but the other two will. The earth and the heavens will be destroyed, and then God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So John says, God's preparing a unique place just for you. And then he secondly said, and God plans to live there with you. Then the third thing that he tells us about heaven is this. There will be some things missing in heaven. I hope it's not chocolate. 
but there will be some things missing in heaven. Verse 4 and 5. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. And here's the phrase again. The old order of things has passed away. There's that phrase again. Disappeared. You see, in heaven, God will deliberately omit certain things from our earthly life. The Bible says He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Tears right now often come from the distortion, sin's distortion of God's purpose for His people. Let me say it to you another way. For example, death of a loved one is the direct result of sin entering the world through Adam and Eve, the distortion of God's plan for His people. When God creates a new heaven and a new earth, everything associated with sin, everything tainted by human sin and sorrow will be removed. We'll be living in an environment that is so different from the world that we currently live in, the only way that John could describe it was with these two words, no more. I'd underline that if I were you in verse, in, in verse I believe it's verse 4. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying. No more pain. You see, here's what I want you to understand. No matter what you're going through right now, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I can say to you on the authority of God's Word, this is not the end of it. There is still a chapter to come. God will write that last chapter. This is not the last word. It will be a a world that is untouched, untainted. By the enemy. So there will be no more death or sorrow. Death will be a thing of the past. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, you just need to understand my job and and how I deal with death week after week after week. And and, and you sit with grieving families week after week after week after week after week. And you do funerals week after week. You just need to understand something. I'm looking forward to the day when death is no more. I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have to look into the faces of grieving people. I'm looking forward to the day when when, uh, I don't have to wrestle with that and you don't have to wrestle with that. Think how wonderful it would be to talk with your loved ones again and, and, and to get to see them again and be reunited with them. And death is no more. Think how wonderful it would be that the tears of grief that you've shed will one day be a distant memory. Things that brought us pain on earth will will be missing from heaven. And then fourthly, he tells us heaven is available. As good as it sounds, heaven is available to anybody. Now, Now, I know that most of you are Christians and this makes sense and you've heard this before. But if you've never heard this, this is going to be amazing. And if you have heard it, I hope that you'll perhaps have a different perspective of it. Look what he says, verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. You see, the place known as the New Jerusalem is only for those who have experienced new life in Jesus Christ. But the question is, Would you like to be a part of that? Would you like to experience that? Now, there's only one requirement. Everybody look up here and tell you what the requirement is. The Bible says in this verse, Jesus says in this verse, the one requirement is you have to be thirsty. 
Have you been thirsty lately? I'm not talking spiritually. I'm not talking theoretically. I mean, like, have you just been thirsty lately? You know, mouth was dry. You, you know, you're just hot. Mouth was dry. And tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth. And, and you think to yourself, I'm thirsty. I, and, and here's what you probably did. You probably went somewhere looking for something to quench your thirst. Might have been the refrigerator door and you got a glass of water. It, it might have been the convenience store and you got a Pepsi. But, but you went looking, you're looking for something to quench your thirst, right? And I see people do that all the time. I see people whose souls are thirsty and they go looking for something to quench their thirst. One of the reasons that their lives are so miserable and, and they're such a mess is that people, their souls are thirsty and they go to other sources looking for satisfaction. Can I say to you with a loving heart, you will never find what you're looking for unless, you're, unless you find it in Jesus. His promise is this, is this, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost. To him who is thirsty. He didn't say to him who is religious. He didn't say to him uh, who, who lives a good life. He didn't say to him who keeps the Ten Commandments. He didn't say to him who stops certain things. He said to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink. You know, there's one thing about being thirsty. Only you can decide if you're thirsty enough to take action to quench your thirst. Can I say to you, listen, everybody look up here. Nobody accidentally goes to heaven. Nobody accidentally receives eternal life. It's only those who recognize they're thirsty. It's only those who recognize their souls are craving something that they can't find the answer for. Only those who recognize that they are indeed thirsty in their soul. And that Jesus is the answer. That He can quench that thirst. Those are the ones who go to heaven. See, heaven is available to anybody. I hate to end on a bad note, but the fifth thing that John tells us is this. Even though heaven is available to anybody, here's number five. Heaven, heaven will not be home for everybody. Go down to verse 8. John is very graphic in verse 8 when he talks about the fact not everybody's going to heaven. He says in verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. John makes two points very clearly here. This verse points out two things. First of all, not everybody's going to heaven. Now listen, there is a doctrine. There is a doctrine that sweeps across, that is sweeping across our land. And the doctrine is basically this. It basically teaches that everybody's going to make it to heaven. Now, you're going to find your path and I'll find my path. But because God is a loving God and Jesus loves us, everybody's eventually going to make it to heaven. That we'll all get there, we'll just go different routes. I want to tell you something, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Not everybody's going to heaven. I wish they were. I wish that were true. The, the, the name for that doctrine is universalism. 
And universalism is a lie. Not everybody is going to heaven. You don't get to decide how you're going to get there. God decides how you're going to get there. Not everybody's going to make it. And so he tells us in this text, some of the people who will not, who will not make it. The second thing he tells us in this text is, there's no such thing as a second chance after you die. It's not like, okay, well, after I die and I recognize that this is all true, then I'm going to cry out to God. No, you won't get that chance. He says, those people will be cast into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So the Bible really shows us two options, and only two options. Those that are going to heaven and those that are not. Those that are believers, those that are not. Heaven is a unique place. It's a perfect place. It's a physical place. It's a wonderful place. But the sad thing is, not everybody's going to be there. But the real question is, are you going to be there? Now, we'll talk about this in more detail next week. But I want you to go to the verse 27. I want you to see how this chapter ends, chapter 21. Again, we'll come back to this next week. But verse 27, I want you to see how this chapter ends. The Bible says, nothing impure will ever enter it, enter heaven. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How can a sinful person enter heaven where God allows no sin? How could there ever be hope that anybody could go to heaven, much less, much less the hope that everybody could go to heaven if they turned to Christ? How, how could anybody ever make it to heaven if nothing sinful is going to enter there? And that's what the cross is all about. You see, the cross is God's plan to deal with your sin so that you can go to heaven. The Bible says in the Old Testament, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you don't need to act a certain way, behave your way to heaven. That won't work. You don't need to accept, uh, you don't need to try to accept certain doctrines and believe your way. That, that, that's not going to work. Just trying to believe the right kind of things. Who knows if you're believing the right thing? And you're certainly not going to be able to stop the sin that's in your life. That's not going to work. You need somehow, watch this, you need somehow to get rid of the sin, don't you? And the only way to get rid of the sin is this. It's by faith that Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross for your sin. You see, you can try to hide your sin. You can even deny your sin. Uh, and you can try to change from your sin. But, but you know better than anybody. You know, but deep down inside, you know better than anybody that you're a sinner, don't you? You know better than anybody the depth of your sin. You know better than anybody that you're not going to change yourself. You know better than anybody that even if you could, there's a past you can't erase. So how can you have any hope that you can go to heaven? Because when you place your faith in Christ, as it said, as I told you a moment ago, the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. See, the moment that you turn away from your sin and turn to Christ and ask Him to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of your sin, the Bible says He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. You see, here's what you need. You need a Savior. You need a Rescuer. 
You need someone to rescue you from this predicament. You need Jesus. We all do. We all do. Would you join me as I pray? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? There's a beautiful place called heaven. In Revelation, it's called the New Jerusalem. It's the place where God will dwell with His people. But only those whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life will go there. Are, are you going to be part of that group? If you're not sure, you can be sure today. We're only going to sing one or two stanzas, and so if you decide to Receive Christ as your Savior. I'm going to be down front. I'm going to give you an opportunity just as quickly as we stand to sing for you to come down front and say, Pastor, I want to be sure. I want to trust Christ. Or, or maybe you're saying, Pastor, for the first time in my life, I understand the gospel. And today, I'm trusting Christ to cleanse me from my sin. I want to invite you to come. Maybe that's the reason you came today. Not knowing it, not realizing it, but God knew. God knew you needed this. God knew that you were going to be at this point in time and God ordained for you to hear this message. I want you to respond to this invitation because God doesn't want you just to hear it. He wants you to respond to it. So I'll be down front. Would you come quickly so I can introduce you to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the place we call heaven and the place we will one day call home. But I pray that if there's anybody here and they've not yet made that decision or if they're not sure if they have, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would bring conviction and the certainty of what they need to do and may they have the courage then to step out to trust you as Savior today. I ask that in Christ's name.